morning again. Uh, so James chapter 2, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, this is a, I, I believe to be the central passage, the, the central uh, argument that James is making in his, in his, uh, his letter here. And um, it's also probably the most controversial passage. Maybe a lot of people consider this to be one of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. In fact, it, um, it caused Martin Luther, a guy who we quote and uh, adhere to his teaching a lot, um, it caused him to decide that James shouldn't even be in the Bible. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a very controversial passage, and we're going to deal with that um, in, in just a bit. But I, I want to talk to us a little bit about the, the central theme here. It's sort of the, the hinge on which all of James's argument is, is hanging, is, is on this argument that he's making. Um, and I think it, the, the video that, that you just saw, the, the quick little people turning on the faucet, it's faith changes us in such a way that we change the way that we behave because of what we believe. So we go to a faucet believing that when we turn the knob or, or flip the leather that, lever that water is going to come out. So because we believe that, it changes the way that we behave. If we didn't believe that water would come out of a faucet when we turn it on, we wouldn't turn it on. And James's argument is, is that, is that faith changes the way that we behave, the way that we act. Um, so let's, let's get to this passage. And uh, the, the main verse that is, that's the, the biggest issue, the biggest problem is James 2.24. So I want to start there and then kind of walk through the whole verse. Um, uh, so uh, James 2.24 says, you see a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. A person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And on its face, this verse is directly in contradiction to almost everything that's ever been taught here at this church. Um, That we are saved by faith and not by works. But James just said that you are justified by your faith, by, not by, I'm sorry, you see that a person is justified by what he does, by works, and not by faith alone. Um, I want to read three passages of Scripture. They're going to be on the screen above me as well. Um, that are in direct contradiction to this. You ever been to a church before where a, a pastor starts out the sermon by saying, the Bible contradicts itself? No longer. You've been to one right now. Um, but never fear, we'll, we'll figure this out together. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Wait a second, James just said, you're justified by what you do, not by faith alone. Paul just says in Ephesians, you're justified by faith, not by what you do. Contradiction. Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Again, contradiction. Again, Paul writing Ephesians and Romans. Galatians 2.16, Paul writing again. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law, 
because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Again, that last phrase, apart from works of the law, no one will be justified. But James just said, you're justified by your work. All right. We need to do a little bit of historical work here. Paul wrote those passages in Ephesians, Romans, and Galatians. James wrote James. All right? You with me there? And Paul is notorious throughout the book of Acts. When he sees error, he aggressively points it out. Okay? He did it with with Peter a couple of times. And it's documented in Scripture. James and Paul were alive at the same time. If James was teaching the church of Jesus Christ these things that were apart or different from what he was teaching, we would have record of Paul getting in James's face. We don't have that record. Likely, we can assume that Paul was okay with what James was teaching. Here's why. Um, there's, uh, I'm going to use a phrase called semantic range. Does it make sense? You understand that what, when I say semantic range, here's what I mean. Um, let's think of the word skip. All right? Think of the word skip. Um, now think of the word, what do I mean when I say skip? Here's the context. Two girls in a park say, let's skip. What are they going to do? Skip. Skip. Okay. <laughs> what, what are they going to do? Two little girls. They're in a park. Let's skip. They're going to, you know. Right? I didn't want you to make me have to do that. Come with me, please. Please. Do longer? No, thank you, Cheryl. Uh, You just want to make fun of me. Uh, She's nodding her head. Um, Okay, now different context. Two high school kids in the gathering place at high school. It's schools, the, the bell rings. One says to the other, let's skip. What are they saying? Dude, let's go to the donut shop. I don't want to feel, I'm not, I don't want to go to school today. Donut shop. That's right. There, there used to be a Dunkin', there used to be a Dunkin' Donuts at Halls Ferry and West Florissant. And I was like, that was me, me and Rob Fine. Uh, uh, my daughter's in this room. Oh man. Uh, let's skip. So the idea is there, there's two completely different things, right? The two little girls, based on that context, the two seven-year-old girls in a park are going to skip. Two high school kids who don't feel like going to class are going to skip. Mean completely different things, the exact same word, right? Okay, uh, how about this one? Um, a present, right? It's Christmas morning, and we say the word present. What are we talking about? A gift, right? Um, now take a different context. There's a teacher standing in a podium with a pen in her hand and a kid, and she says somebody's name and he says present. Same word, different context, completely different meaning. This is that application. The semantic range of words is exactly where we're getting here. Um, a pastor in London from the 1600s named Thomas Manton says this about this passage. In this whole discourse, the apostle, meaning James, shows not what justifies, but who is justified. Not what faith 
does, but what faith is. You with me? You, you with Thomas Manton there? He's seeing the semantic range. For Paul, his audience, his context, his girl in the park versus kids at high school, his context was Paul was talking to lawyers who were ultra-religious people. Almost all of Paul's ministry is him fighting with those kinds of people. And when he uses the word justified, he's talking about it in a very legal sense. Paul was trained in the same ways, the same legal understandings that these guys that he was talking to were. James is talking to Christians who've accepted Christ and realized and, and profess Christ. He's talking to them, not to lawyers. So his context is different. So when he says justified, he's saying, make your position known. He's, they're justifying themselves. And so it becomes, your faith is justified. It becomes what it is because of what you do. The same way, the same simple notion we've been talking about. The first video we showed in the series was flipping on light switches. When we flip on a light switch, the lights come on. When we flip on a a faucet, water comes out. It changes who we are, right? Because we believe that light's going to come on when we flip the switch, we go and flip the switch. And our faith becomes justified when the light comes on. It's not that we have somehow justified light, because light is. It's that we have justified our faith in the light when we flip on a a light switch. You tracking with me here? Uh, So let's let's get to the the passage and we'll we'll read this and and walk through this slowly together. Cool? Um, Starting in, in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Uh, Thomas Manton also says about this particular verse, faith is ingenuous and cannot take without giving. Faith is ingenuous. Um, I thought I knew what ingenuous meant this week when I read Thomas uh, writing that. Um, And my thought about ingenuous, I'd never really heard the word ingenuous, except that it was preceded with the prefix dis. You might have heard and even used the the word disingenuous. Faith, according to Manton, is ingenuous. So the opposite of disingenuous. I looked it up this week, and ingenuous means candid or sincere, free from reserve. Examples are that it gives you all that it is, and and more, the, the best one is the last part there, Ingenuous means it holds nothing of itself back. So faith holds nothing of itself back. I want you to process through that a little bit. Especially not in terms of, of saving faith, like trusting God for who he says he is, and so that it, it, uh, it makes us save. Not the, the Paul kind of faith. The James kind of faith is ingenuous. It holds nothing of itself back and then predicts how we're going to behave in this earth, on this earth. Um, 
ultimately what it means here is that obedience matters. Obedience matters. Verse 15. If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself that does not have works is dead. James tells a little story about encountering someone that isn't fed, that isn't clothed very well. This is encountering a homeless person for us. And we say to them, be fed and be warm. What good is that? How has that changed that person? Nowhere. It's not changed. So, I, I, like this is what I like to call verbal charity. Verbal charity. So we say to the person who is in lack, go and be filled, be fed, and be warm. And we don't do anything. We don't really want them to go and be fed and be filled. We just want them to be away from us. So take this idea, this, this concept of verbal charity. And, and I think like whenever, you, whenever we encounter someone on the street that's like this, there's this uneasiness in us. And we have this idea of, of verbal charity. Like we want to feel bad, feel sorry for them, but we really don't want to do anything. And that kind of feels like it's at odds with us. Right? Are you with me? You guys all been there? I hope so. Right? But I think the point, James is not trying to get people to give money to poor people. James is trying to get people to allow their faith to be active. He's telling this story to tell a point. And I think if we take that verbal charity into our own hearts and think about verbal obedience... I think a lot of times we are indoctrinated by the church that we go to and decide these are the things that I'm going to believe and these are the things that I'm going to convince the people that I go to church with that I believe. For us, it's how we treat our wives. Maybe it's... uh, how we treat our children, maybe it's whether or not we look at pornography, whether it's whether or not we look at pornography and let anybody know that we look at pornography. In the same, take that picture of you encountering, you're walking down the Delmar on the loop, going to, to dinner, and someone comes out from a corner and asks you for food. Take that idea, that sort of crossroads that you are at in your heart and in your soul how do i respond in this situation do i engage this person or do i walk away and if you walk away how do you feel and if you engage that person how do you feel take that understanding to every bit of obedience to what christ has said to you does that shape how you behave and respond. The feeling of ignoring the person on the street who asked you for money or whatever, that feeling ought to be a similar feeling when we sin or when we disobey. Ingenuous faith 
faith that gives you all that it is changes the heart of you. Are, are you with me there? This is huge for us as we engage Christ because if we really believe that he is who he says he is and does what he says he will do and we are who he says we are, it changes the way that we behave. It changes every crossroads moment for us when we have an opportunity to either engage and obey or disengage. We stop with the verbal obedience. Just like we stop with the verbal charity. Let's go back to our passage. Where were we? Uh, verse, let's, let's start in, in verse 15 in light of what we just walked through. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Here, here's, this is really dangerous. Faith by itself, without works, is dead. We are deceived about our faith. We think that our faith is alive, but it is in fact dead. And if in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, many are going to come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and what is he going to say to them? Apart from me, go away. I, did, I never knew you. And the light, he, he, this, is, this is where this is a really controversial passage, and this is a really hard thing to hear. But the likelihood is that there are people that are in this room right now that have a dead faith and they will spend eternity separate from God. And that's like last week, the heaviness that was here was I'm like, I'm God created me to, to be a shepherd and to, and to pastor you guys. And, and there was a lot of hardship that was going on and it was, it was just really dark and hard and it was a hard day and a hard week. You got some of you experience that, you know what I'm talking about. And so it, it's, it's heavy to know that there, the likelihood is that there are people that have signed the North Church Covenant and, and have sat in my living room and professed faith in Christ who have a dead faith. And this is why this, the book of James is so important. This is why obedience matters. Especially for us who like to stand up and, and, and say, we will not be legalists. We will rebel against the religion of this day. So we can do what we, we're going to live in freedom. We're going to live in grace. But there's a, what James is tearing at here is that obedience matters. You don't get to just go do whatever you want to do. If you do, your faith is dead and you are deceived. I've spoken several, this, I've spoken this out several times this week to people that I've engaged in counseling with. Is that like we have one enemy and his name is Satan and he, he has one tool and it's to deceive you. And he is really good. Do not be deceived. Um, this is vital for us. Verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my, my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. It's good that you believe that God is who he says he is. 
but even the demons believe and shudder. Like what, what separates your belief in God from the demons' belief in God? What separates your faith from Satan's faith? What separates it? What you do. Obedience matters. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? God always want to pay attention. James is writing to Christians, and he says, you foolish people. Do you want to be a fool? Pay attention, because James is, is pressing in here. Uh, the NAS, the New American Standard Version, says about verse 20. Verse 20 in the ESV says, you foolish man, do not... Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? The New American Standard Version says, Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? I love that phrase, are you willing to recognize? Are you, so let me ask you, are you willing to recognize the fact that your faith might in fact be useless? Obedience matters. How is your faith in Jesus changing the way that you behave. When faced with an opportunity to actually give actual charity as opposed to verbal charity, how does your faith predict how you will respond there? When faced with an opportunity to engage a sexual thought outside of your marriage, how does your faith serve you there? Is it alive or is it dead? Are you foolish? Are you willing to recognize that without, with faith without works is useless? Does it change how you behave? Verse 22. You see that faith was active along with works. And faith was completed by his works. Actually, let's go back up to verse 21. I'm sorry. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You guys remember that story? God came to Abraham when Abraham was young and said, I'm going to give you more offspring than the sands on the earth and more offering than the stars in the sky. Abraham was a hundred years old and still had no kids. Then God gave him Isaac, right? And so soon after Isaac was born, God said, go and sacrifice him on an altar. And Abraham went to go sacrifice him on the altar. Abraham trusted that God is who he says he is and would do what he said he would do and that Abraham was who God said he was. And that trust was so profound that he was willing to go and sacrifice, i.e. kill his son. Obedience matters. Abraham's faith was active. Because because I trust you, God, I'm going to do something that's ridiculous, that even flies in the face of, of my understanding of what your promise was to me back 60 years ago. 
but I believe you so much that I'm going to do something that doesn't make any sense. And again, this is not, James's point here is not to get you to think highly of Abraham. James's faith is this, James's point is to say, this is what faith does. This is what it looks like. This is what it is. And the fact of the matter is, in 2015, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, verse 22. Abraham, was, our father, was justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. Faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And here's our verse 24, the controversial one. Now that you, you see it in the context of what Paul is teaching or what James is teaching here, it's set apart from Paul. It's different from what Paul teaches. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Their faith is proved. Their faith is ingenuous. It is all that it proclaims to be. Then he tells another story. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Do you guys remember that story? The the Jews were going to go into a city and they sent spies into the city to try and figure it out, look to see how they were going to attack, what their battle plan was going to look like. And they found out that these people were there. And so Rahab believed God, had faith in God, and put her life on a line by hiding these spies and then sent them out of her roof window for easy escape. You remember that story? She trusted God was who he says he was and did what he said he would do. This is faith being active. Verse 26 is the conclusion of James's central hinging point. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Um, I want to conclude this morning by poking again at us. And when I say us, I include me. Uh, Poking at us again. Um, I think that a lot of times, practically speaking, obedience doesn't matter very much to us. And if that's true consistently in our hearts, we might be the foolish person that James is picking on here. We might be, and this is like, I, like I'm, I'm not going to use preacher voice here because I, I don't want to manipulate any emotion or any, any of that. I'm going to try to use normal Rick voice. If Consistently, we see obedience not mattering to us. We might be that foolish person 
And thus we might be the person in Matthew 7 that Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. So the point is, not in some soft music playing, whispery pastor voice, manipulating your emotion to think about, I need to rededicate something. I wish we were in my living room, I could use the word that I want to use. But the fact is, nonsense. This is way too important. Press in to Christ. Ask him to change you. Ask him to to make alive your faith so that it acts. And you aren't just some verbal obedient, verbal charity, verbal nonsense. It's too important. And the message of James is obedience matters. And if it doesn't matter to you, you better check yourself. And let's live in community together. Let's check each other together. And let's respond to a holy and beautiful God. You remember what we read together? He's good. He has plans for you. He wants to give you a future and a hope. He is excellent. He's filled with grace and filled with mercy and eager to save and eager to give to you. This is who God is. And he wants to give all of this to you. And our simple response is yes. Let's take some time now to uh, pray and consider and respond. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the words of James. I thank you for persevering the book of James to speak to our hearts and to our lives. I thank you for the message that you've preached to my own heart that obedience matters. God, I pray this morning for some opportunity for some in this room to be silent before you and examine their heart and their lives and their faith. May we not give verbal charity. May we not give verbal obedience. May we not say the right thing because we know it's the right thing to say. God, may your spirit act in us. May your spirit act in us. You're a good father. And you want to be good to us. And you want to be a good father to us. God, give us what we need to respond the way you've called us to respond. Fill us with your grace. Fill us with your presence. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.